Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about Ryan Johnson's new mystery murder thriller, Knives Out, as well as episode three of the Disney Plus series Mandalorian. Uh, we'll also be touching on season one of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, today's episode of Coast to Coast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and internet or entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 250,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products with free apps for every type of phone and device so you can access your books anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone. Get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook at www.audible.com slash coast. So Kyle, how you been? Um, I've been pretty good. Um, getting off of the holiday kind of laziness that I had. I pretty much was off all week um, last week, so that was pretty nice. And today going back to work was a bit of a drag, but um, overall Hell pretty yeah. well. Nice. Yeah, that four-day four weekend really kind of threw a wrench into the routine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I actually can't recall ever having Black Friday off. Is that like a new thing? I, I feel like... Typically, it's just become so ingrained in our society that they're just like, go out and shop. Well, now Black Friday starts on Thursday and Wednesday and um, like before even Thanksgiving comes around. Um, But yeah, I think I don't remember being off for Black Friday last year, um, but I was working in a different industry. So maybe it's just depending on where you work. I know a lot of retail stores are just open or just only closed for Thanksgiving. So... I remember right. when I was working retail, it was like, oh, well, Thanksgiving and Christmas, those are just regular days off. Like, it's not like anything special, like, which kind of sucked because I wasn't able to go home and visit mm-hmm. my family or anything because I was only off for that one day. And of course, retail, you can't request those days off either. Yeah, they're kind of mandatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you uh, get any Black Friday deals? I did, actually. Um, Me and my parents, we went Black Friday shopping actually on Thanksgiving. So a lot of the stores around their area opened at 5 p.m. on Thursday. So we went to like Best Buy and Target and I got got a Ninja Blender, not a sponsor. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) And I got actually a... um, an Apple HomePod. Uh, I haven't Sweet. set it up yet, but I've been looking for like a really solid wire or um, not wireless speaker, but just like a speaker that I can kind of set up in my room, like in the corner, play music kind from. Kind purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. What'd you do uh, for the holidays? Just chill? Yeah. So obviously my family is over on the East Coast with your where your family's at. So mm-hmm. we did Thanksgiving with a friend of ours. Uh, made sweet potato casserole, which is a huge hit. Okay. Um, and then we just kind of chilled out. Like we saw Frozen 2 on Black Friday. Didn't really do any shopping. Um, what did we do Saturday? Honestly, I like barely even remember. It was pretty just kind of like a lazy Saturday. Um, but yeah, and then I got a Nikon uh, D3500. Oh, nice. Yeah. I so was looking at first... cameras too, actually. <laughs> yeah, they were really... Um, like I got it at Best Buy and it was like a the D3500 with like a two lens kit. So it has like mm-hmm. one zoom lens and one like normal lens. Um, and it was, I like looked at what the normal prices would be. It's like six to $700 that I got for like 400. Um, what do you plan on shooting? So, 
I don't know. I've like I've always wanted to get into photography and like obviously I've never had a camera besides like my iPhone. So this is kind of my first venture into photography. So I'll probably experiment a little bit, but uh, my main motivation was planning a lot of trips for next year mm-hmm. and I want to be able to like uh, including a trip to Europe and I'd like to get some really nice pictures while we're out there. So I figured it's probably a good time. Do you think I mean it seems like each year the iPhone cameras are getting better and better. Like, do you think it's better than your iPhone camera? No. So what I've really wanted to do is get into learning about, uh, you know, like aperture mm. and shutter speed and things like that and being able to really control the output. Right. Um, as opposed to just doing like the autofocus. So this will kind of enable me to do a bit of that and kind of get my feet wet. Um, that's definitely something I considered though, because I'm due for an upgrade and I know the iPhone 11 has like the crazy camera now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess I've just wanted to get more into the art of photography and obviously it's not true like film photography, but it's, it's a start, you know? Right. Does it have a uh, video recording also? It does have video. Yeah. That'd be cool. So that's nice. You can do some vlogging. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll be the next frontier, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to, uh, I picked it up in store in Best Buy, and I feel like, I don't know about you, but I didn't really see too many stories about, like, Black Friday tramplings or, like, violent incidents on Black Friday this year. And I have to think it's kind of because of this um, proliferation of Amazon's network of, you know, being able to deliver things within two days and basically being able to, to give, like, provide the same types of products that you could find in these stores. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like sort of felt the effects of that last year, but I felt like it was way more prevalent this year. Well, when we went to Target on Thursday night, we actually ordered because my parents got like a TV they're for the new house and some other stuff. And we actually just ordered it on Target's website for order pickup. So we mm-hmm. got there like when the doors opened, went to order pickup, grabbed all the stuff and left. It took like 15 minutes. Hmm. So we didn't actually have to like fight through lines or like fight people over product yeah i mean if you think about it like it's got to be a liability right why not just make it easier for people to find the things that they're looking for and mm-hmm. like not have to kill each other for them <laughs> right um, yeah but uh I, I understand you watched uh the irishman over the holiday break yeah so this is actually my second time seeing the irishman which <laughs> jesus um with a three and a half hour runtime seeing it twice is a bit of a toll but um worth it I yeah, it's definitely worth it. Um, I know I'm on record saying Parasite was probably my favorite movie of the year, but The Irishman is very close. Um, it's just hard. I'm just a sucker for like one Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci like acting as gangsters yeah. and killing everyone. <laughs> um, I'm like super big fan of like The Heat and like casino movies and. Um, the Godfather, yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for those gangster movies, so I have a little bit of a bias when it comes to The Irishman. Um, but the movie was just so well done. The pacing was like you, even when I saw it twice, you don't really feel like you're sitting and watching a movie for three and a half hours. Um, I know, like when I went to go see the newest Avengers movie, that was a little over two and a half hours. Mm. Um, that one felt like a two and a half hour movie, where this one being an hour longer than that it was um done very well and even thinking back to watching it like i can't i can't think back and say oh well yeah i remember 
sitting there for three and a half hours, it, it, it ran pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been hearing. Um, and obviously the cast is pretty alluring. Um, and I believe this is one of those ones that came out in theaters for like a limited release. Right. And then Mm -hmm. is now on Netflix. Yeah. So it came out in a very small amount of theaters because a lot of theaters around the, um, around the nation, some people may not know is they require movies to be in the theater for a certain amount of time. And -hmm. usually that's like two weeks minimum. You're allowed to be in a theater. So, um, with this movie just being released for like a weekend, a lot of theaters didn't pick it up because they didn't want to, I guess, take the financial risk. So I had to go like to a small, like indie theater kind of near my house where I was playing. And, um, that's how I saw it. But yeah, now it's on Netflix. It came out on Netflix Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Um, which is also really odd. I think Netflix even has another movie, um, coming out in theaters, which I guess good for them. But yeah, I mean, it kind of just exhibits their dominance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of a powerhouse now when it comes to production. I would say um, though that for this movie, even though it is on Netflix, um, which is so mobile, I definitely recommend you watch it on like your TV, the biggest mm-hmm. screen that you can. I don't, I don't really recommend watching it on your phone, like an iPad or something like that. Just, I would stick to the, the TV. Yeah, I think any film purist would want to watch something on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for three <laughs> and a half TV. hours. I can't hold an iPad yeah. up to my face for that long. <laughs> like, I'll watch sports on my phone sometimes, but yeah. that's about it. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, also over the break, um, I had the chance, and you did as well, to see Knives Out. Yeah, that's right. So, perfect segue. Um, so, uh, obviously, our first topic we wanted to talk about today was Knives Out. Um, so Knives Out was released, I believe, on Thanksgiving, um, mm-hmm. and it's a film directed by Ryan Johnson, who you might know from the film Looper, uh, as well as Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, and it's essentially like a very genre-specific like murder mystery film, um, and it follows the murder of one crime novelist, Harlan Thrombey, um, and the ensuing investigation that involves, uh, you know, his... Uh, his children and his extended family um, and also features um, Daniel Craig as the kind of mysterious private detective Benoit Blanc, who also sports a very like um, Southern uh, like antebellum kind of draw, uh, which was entertaining. But what were, what were your thoughts generally of the movie, Kyle? Well, when I first, like probably the first 15 to 20 minutes of the film, I was like, this is not the trailer that I saw. Of mm-hmm. Knives Out. I thought this was going to be more of like, a, I mean, it is a whodunit movie, um, but kind of like Clue, like where you're following the detectives around and um, you only get their viewpoints and you're like piecing the puzzle together as they are. But again, this movie, like most are in three acts. So like the first act, um, and of course there will be spoilers. Um, so if you haven't seen Knives Out, I recommend go seeing it. Um, but when the first part i guess is um unraveled with the nurse mm-hmm. i'm like well what the heck and like now what what's the rest of the movie gonna be about if she's already like spilling her guts to this detective yeah to, to me that definitely drew into question kind of the arc of the story mm-hmm. um and they resolve the like, kind of the second arc of the story very late in the film um so i was kind of left hanging in the middle of it um but to me, I thought it was interesting because 
first of all, the concept of like this kind of murder mystery um, at the hands of like a family member of a murder mystery writer seemed very meta. Um, but then it turned out that the actual like murder mystery was a mystery within the existing murder mystery. Mm-hmm. I know I probably just confused like everyone that might be listening. Um, but essentially it goes from like trying to figure out who killed, um, you know, Harlan Thrombey to who like tried to blackmail, um, the nurse and the people involved and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, like th- this, it, it was very, like, as I said earlier, very genre specific. Uh, the music was something that you'd probably find in a lot of like murder mystery suspense films. Um, the setting of this kind of old classic mansion um, with lots of like old artifacts and like, you know, expensive uh, like placements and rugs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was all, all really genre specific, um, but done really well. Like it was all just very neat. Um, and I think he kind of also put a modern twist on the murder mystery with some of the characters Um you know, one one of his daughter-in-laws is a uh, played by Tony Collette is like an influencer and has like an influencer brand. Um, one of his like grandsons is this like alt-right Ben Shapiro like follower kind of kid. Um, so I thought he placed this this murder mystery, which is kind of an antiquated, um, you, you know, model for a story, uh, into um, this like modern modern atmosphere yeah and i think um as with most i think i read something about ryan johnson kind of paying like homage to like an advoca christie novel mm-hmm. and it seems like with some of my experience with reading her books and watching this movie there's also like that strong element of like a social satire too mm-hmm. like you know it's like although marta who's the nurse is like repeatedly told that she's part of the family um she wasn't invited to the 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 funeral and more than one time the like rich people are like oh you know i thought you should have been there but i was overruled right and, I thought and it that turns was... out that like all all of them say that so it's like <laughs> right none of them really said it <laughs> right yeah no I, I like what you mean about the social satire thing because um to me this movie actually felt a lot like parasite mm-hmm. in that it was like multiple movies in one. There was like a bit of comedy. There was a bit of suspense, maybe horror. And there was a bit of that social satire, like you said. Um, and, you know, Parasite was very much about like crap class discrimination and the effects that greed will have on the lower class on their, like trying to make their way to the top. Um, mm-hmm. I think this one was very apparent that it was about um, kind of avarice and greed and the effect it has on people because, you know, once it got to the point where they're reading Harlan Thrombey's will and basically everybody finds out that Marta, the nurse, is getting all of his inheritance, everyone turns like really nasty, right? And mm-hmm. they turn into these almost villains in their own right, trying to either convince her or like intimidate her. Um, but um, yeah, it was like a kind of an interesting social social class message nestled into a murder mystery. Yeah, and I think that um, all the actors did a pretty phenomenal job. Um, This is definitely something new for Chris Evans. I think he was able to kind of stretch Mm -hmm. his normal um, profile out a bit instead of just being like 
super macho Captain America. He was able to play uh, a little bit more like a humorous role. Um, he was kind of like the douchebag rich kid mm. who's like, I think in one part of the movie they called him, um, what was it, like a trust fund yeah. baby or something? <laughs> like and, a trust fund baby, yeah. Yeah, so that was cool to kind of see his range. Um, although... Aside from me not really caring for Daniel Craig's like Southern drawl, I don't know really why that was necessary. Um, but with with movies like this, and, and like I've mentioned several times, I'm watching Law and Order like from the beginning, and when you see a famous person in the show, for instance, you know mm-hmm. that they they either did it or they're connected somehow. And, right. and in movies, and I think this kind of falls into that as well. Yes, you do have all these other like large famous actors and actresses, but it's like, well, Chris Evans is like hot off of Avengers. This is his like next movie out. So it like just seems like, oh, well, he must have something to do with the plot. And that's kind of unfortunate because I kind of caught onto that pretty early. And, sure. and that kind of ruins my law and order experience because you'll you'll like have like someone i don't know for i think um ted danson was in one of the episodes like pretty Mm -hmm. early on and it's like well okay obviously he's like the one who like killed and like raped that poor girl because he's like the guest yeah (laughs) and he's like the guest star for the show so unfortunately i think um that happened with chris evans i just kind of figured well, this is like his next big movie off of his large Avengers movie. He he's in this movie for a reason. Why is that? Sure. Yeah, I I kind of saw him maybe as a red herring from the beginning because that's a pretty frequent plot device in murder mysteries. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know that I, I share that same feeling. Like to me, one of the things that made me want to go see this movie was the cast itself, and not necessarily particularly Chris Evans. I mean, we're talking uh, Daniel Craig. Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, uh, obviously Christopher Plummer as the Harlan Thrombey, the murder mystery writer. Um, even some of the maybe fringe actors like Jade Martell, who played Billy in it, um, it was all really alluring. And to me, like I didn't necessarily see Ransom as like Chris Evans' character, Ransom as that person thrust into the plot that's like obvious, you know. Um, uh, interesting name. Yeah, yeah, I guess that 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 was kind of interesting too, the choice for his character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I I don't know. I I particularly kind of enjoyed Daniel Craig's accent. Um, typically, I you know like accents can go one of two ways. They're either done really well or they're just like cringy. Mm-hmm. And when when there's one of those cringy accents, like I can't watch the movie without like focusing on the accent. <laughs> but I thought I thought Daniel Craig's was actually pretty consistent. And, you know, like he kind of get like a baseline within the first 10 minutes of the film of the way he talks. And I feel like we're both very detail oriented. I kind of tried to like pick out the vowel sounds or the different ways he would pronounce R's, things like that. And they seem pretty consistent. I guess, like you said, it's not necessarily like a necessity for him to have that accent, but I thought it was pretty well done. Have, um, what was your opinion on the other detectives? Uh. I thought it was good. I thought Lakeith Stanfield, the African-American actor, he, mm-hmm. his character was kind of flat. Like, I don't really think, I don't know. The other character was funny though. Trooper Evans. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of like fanboying over Harlan Thrombey's family and just kind of being goofy. And um, I thought he was kind of a good comedic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed kind of the classical elements of the detective story, right? Like the first hour or so is basically Daniel Craig kind of coaching these amateur detectives on how to interview witnesses. Um, and you get to see, kind of establish everyone's motives. Um, you see kind of the subtle ways that Daniel Craig kind of baits answers out of people and the way some people who might be more intelligent than others kind of notice those tactics. Um, also how like the storylines of different um, people, you know, telling the story uh, kind of differed from each other um, and kind of showed people's slants on the stories. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, you said Irishman's probably up there. I think Parasite probably still is, uh, tops this movie for me. Uh, I haven't seen Irishman yet, but um, that's kind of where my head's at right now. And um, so, yeah, so Knives Out, the cast is stellar and, of course, very memorable. And the story and, I th- like we said, the overall mystery are pretty solid, like, all the way through it. There wasn't a lot of, like, downtime. I think mm-hmm. the runtime was a little over, like, two hours um, I think Ryan Johnson did a pretty phenomenal job with it, um, <clears throat> which is doing, I think it's actually doing a lot better at the box office than it was expected to do. Do you have the numbers yeah, on that? I think it finished right behind, obviously Frozen 2 was a big money maker this weekend. Mm-hmm. I think it actually set a Thanksgiving record. Wow. Um, but I think uh, Knives Out finished right behind it at around 70 million, I believe, for the weekend. Yes. Um which I want to say like almost set another record behind frozen Two. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. Like Ryan Johnson, I've always been really intrigued um, with him as a director, mainly from his breaking bad days. Um, so he, he directed some of the more prominent uh, episodes of breaking bad, uh, including uh, the fly, which was a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozymandias, which is one of the final episodes um, of the series. Um, but yeah, I was really intrigued by Looper, Star Wars as well. Um, and so far those are like three between Looper, Star Wars and Knives Out three, three very distinctly different films. Right. So it's not, it's not like he's been pegged like a Scorsese as like a, a mob guy or, um, you know, Michael Bay is like a, the Transformers CGI action movie guy. Like he's got a very diverse range and he's only done five films to date. So, um, really intrigued as to what might be. Uh, the future might hold for him and i and i do think that um although this was a very well done movie there's there's one little part towards the end that didn't really make sense to me and somewhat impacted my enjoyment of the movie Mm -hmm. um and that that moment came in again the film's conclusion during the conversation that daniel craig was having with marta cabrera um in the scene I think Daniel Craig reveals the part of the story that Marta and the audience didn't know about how, um, or just Marta, I think, cause the oh, audience, just Marta. It, yeah, it gets revealed to the audience. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, and then the moment, it was a great way of showing how Daniel Craig as detective Blanc had like these superb, like observational skills, similar to like a Sherlock Holmes. But to me, it felt kind of like out of line with everything that had come before. And, hmm. It wasn't something so disheartening that it ruined the movie. I still like it a lot, but there's some things um, that 
kind of need like to be said about the reveal and how I kind of weakened the character of Detective Blanc, and that's when um, he points out the blood on her shoe. Yeah, and I think she actually solicits it from him. She's like, "How did you know that I was like had something to do with the murder or with his death?" Mm-hmm. And then he points it out. Yeah, and so I don't want to like go back through the entire movie. That's um, okay. But so Detective Blanc starts the movie out with the clear idea that Harlan Thrombey was murdered and that someone mm-hmm. in the house during the birthday party that he was having was clearly responsible. Um, and Marta is partly brought in um, kind of like his, his Watson he mentions right. um, due to like her eavesdropping, but mainly because like her inability to lie without vomiting, which I thought, I thought was, that was kinda... a pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Plot device. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Yeah. So I guess the bulk of the movie shows how well detective Blanc is um, doing, but also like how off the trail he is. Mm-hmm. And we learn as a, at pretty early on that um, Harlan killed himself in order to protect Marta, who was believed to have made a mistake with the medication. And mm. um, it's, well, so you're saying yeah. it was, it was far off because he because he noticed the blood well i think it's and didn't and didn't put it together or right so well i think it's okay to say that detective Blanc was oblivious to martin's involvement because the real i guess brilliance of him as a detective is unveiled after her reveal he's able Mm -hmm. to like quickly unravel the whole mystery behind like why he was hired which leads him to all the other elements that martin had no idea um like we're buying interesting and it seems like um it it just kind of happened very quickly to me it seems like maybe he was ahead of the curve like more than you thought because if he noticed the blood that early like when she was brought in for questioning like he and he knows that she can't lie without puking which is just hilarious and has many funny moments throughout the film um, like he could have just asked her, right? Like he could have grilled her and put her on the spot. Um, to me, it almost suggests that maybe he knew she had something to do with it, but that he could use her to get closer to the truth. So like he, so I guess we're supposed to believe as the audience that he let such a substantial like piece of evidence like slide simply because he wanted to see like how the rest of like the the story played out. To me, I think so because everything up until the point that he, until the point that he basically asked her to be his Watson, he displays this like really powerful prowess at like observation and the sort of deductive reasoning that you said is almost Sherlock Holmes. Like, and then it's like, well, how would he not suspect her at all? Yeah. I would you say know, like it, it would almost be like a, like a jet, like a, a mark on his character to not like suspect Marta in any way. Yeah. And Hmm. Yeah. It, to, to me to me that that instance though where he kind of reveals how she knew or how he knew she was part of or kind of involved that is also very like um kind of a very standard plot device of mystery novels and, and especially sherlock holmes mystery novels because basically at the end of every sherlock holmes movie or novel watson will ask oh sherlock like how did you do it how did you know x did y or this person did that 
and he always kind of reveals this very like minute detail that they don't necessarily reveal to the audience until that moment um so I thought it was kind of a, like an interesting homage to those types of stories. But I think the reason it worked so well and wasn't so cheesy was because there was kind of that message about how good Trump's um, evil and how Marta succeeded because she didn't do the bad things that Ransom expected her to do, um, which was kind of the whole silver lining in the whole in the whole film. So, um, yeah, I think we, we agree to disagree there, but yeah. Um, Overall, just a really, really entertaining, really thrilling um, genre movie. Yeah, so if you are interested in those whodunit murder mysteries, um, again, go see this. If you're listening to it at this point, you've probably already seen it or are spoiled to go see it. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend it, and we'll see how it comes. Do you think it's going to get any sort of like... It's not really an award movie, right? Um. There are probably some that it could contend for. Uh, you know, like production design might be one of them. Mm-hmm. Possibly original screenplay. Um, and I've actually been seeing buzz that some people think Daniel Craig put on an award-worthy performance. I certainly don't think so. Uh, he was entertaining, but I don't think like Oscar Oscar contender, you know? Yeah. Well, good. Nevertheless. Well, I know we also watched something else over the weekend that we've both been very invested in. Um, and that is the Mandalorian, AKA the baby Yoda show featuring <laughs> Pedro Pascal <laughs> and baby Yoda. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it has definitely become the baby Yoda show. I know that's almost one of the main reasons that Shannon and I watch the show. Like Shannon adores baby Yoda. Um, but yeah, so I guess we can get into episode three. I know, um, just for listeners, Kyle hasn't quite caught up, uh, for episode four just mm-hmm. yet. Uh, but we'll dive into episode three and kind of give our thoughts and kind of talk about how our predictions from the last episode went. Right. So uh, episode three is titled The Sin. It's directed by Deborah Chow, who already got tons of praise upon the episode's release for her direction. Um, but it opens with uh, Mando returning back to the like bounty hunter. I don't know what the town is called. Um, this planet and delivering Baby Yoda to the client. Um, breaking the guild code he asks about what their plans are for the child and he gets kind of reprimanded and told it's none of his business Um, and we get this kind of dramatic moment as they're separated and baby Yoda gets taken behind closed doors Um, to me like you could already kind of feel the suspense in this scene that kind of suggests that Mando is going to be returning later in the episode yeah and I Um, think that um the the episode it's it starts off um i guess kind of starting from the beginning um yeah no worries i think i think the mandalorian still isn't breaking like new ground but the series continues to Mm -hmm. offer like all the star wars elements that i think fans have come to love sure so and i think as expected the chapter three the sin focuses on the Mandalorian delivering his um, bounty, this bounty. Yeah. Um, to like you said, the the client and kind of figure out how, how that whole situation goes down because even from F- episode one, I think is when he first got the bounty, you kind of knew that something was kind of up with these guys and like what, 
was going to unveil as things started to progress. Yeah, they seemed a little shady. And I think um, Petro Pascal, for having to play a character who always keeps his helmet on, does a really good job at kind of portraying emotion or, you know, the kind of like breaks in his voice or the prolonged looks or um, just subtle cues that like make it. You got to give him kudos to his acting here because mm-hmm. you're not really working with much when you can't convey emotion through your, your facial expressions. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think it'll be interesting also to see how much more of like the the Mandalorian community will see moving forward. Um, yeah. Because you remember that the Mandalorian community is like hiding in the shadows and it's like the Empire had forced them into hiding after destroying their planet. Um Sure. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And it's actually in the next scene that we kind of get to get another glimpse into this kind of Mandalorian culture. So um, obviously Mando gets paid in this very large amount of Beskar steel, which draws a lot of attention at this Mandalorian kind of hideout. Um, And the armor agrees to basically create a full set of armor for him. Um, And he gets confronted by some of these Mandalorian, I guess, brothers or, or like kin of his. And we, we learn more about the culture, obviously not taking the helmets off, gets reinforced. Um, we learn that they're only really be able to come out of hiding one at a time, uh, which is one of the points of contention that one of his brothers has with him because he's seemingly always outside, which was something that I didn't get when, when they made that mm-hmm. that point that like they're only allowed outside one at a time is he's like always outside. <laughs> so are the other guys just like trapped away in this enclave the entire time? <laughs> I think so. Um, we also learn more about kind of their hatred for the empire, which is confirmed kind of put on this great purge of the Mandalorians. Um, and we hear the mantra that is going to be probably heard throughout the rest of the show. This is the way, um, he also gets some mysterious weapons called whistling birds, which we'll see later in the show. Um, he returns to grief Karga at the cantina to accept the new bounty um, and again, asked about Baby Yoda, um, to which Karga kind of again reiterates that it's against the code. Um, he tries to get him to take some time off, um, but, you know, kind of machinistic Mando takes the job. And just as he's about to take off uh, to another planet, he powers down his ship and returns to the client's stronghold. Um, so I know we kind of made some similar predictions during the last time we covered the Mandalorian. Um, I think this pretty much follows what we predicted that mm-hmm. uh, the Mandalorian would return. Um, did this strike you as surprising in any way? No, no. Yeah. A little predictable, um, but that's okay. Yeah. A little predictable. I guess what happens next isn't quite as predictable. Um, so we kind of see Mando tactically infiltrate this stronghold um, and he makes it to where they're keeping the baby Yoda. And we hear a little bit more about what exactly um, this doctor, and the client want to accomplish with baby Yoda. They're trying to basically like extract something from him. Um, but they think that the extraction might kill him. Any, uh, any guesses as to what they might be referencing to here? Um, no, actually. Cause to me, like the automatic assumption I made was given that, baby Yoda kind of exhibited his use of the force in the previous episode that that in some way they must be trying to extract something to do with the force from the baby. Like I can't oh, imagine what yeah. else. 
I can't imagine what else they might be trying to extract. Um, mm. That kind of leads me to questions about what its purpose might be. Um, obviously, we saw stormtroopers, you yeah. know, at kind of working for this client and this doctor. So that leads me to believe that maybe there's some sort of remnant of the empire that's trying to make a resurgence. But hmm. yeah, you know, we, go ahead. Well, I was going to say we get our first mention of like the new Republic as Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. I don't remember his, his name. <laughs> <laughs> Grief Karga. Grief Karga. Yeah. Yeah. He tells the Mandalorian that he could report the Imperial outliers to like the government. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Armando only replies that the new Republic is like this joke. Yeah. And it seems like this, or I guess it looks like this new Republic was pretty much like doomed from the start is what it seems like. Yeah. It's almost like what might realistically happen in some sort of rebellion, almost like America at the end of the American revolution, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's a very fledgling country without a lot of like law enforcement or really like governmental structure, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of return of the Jedi after the battle of Endor, I'm sure there's plenty that still remains up in the air in the, in the kind of the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that the assault on that compound, though, was exceptionally tense. Yeah, I I thought they did a really good job, um, pulled out some really cool tricks, um, especially for Mando to be carrying kind of a baby Yoda upon making his escape to be pulling Mm -hmm. off some of the stuff he did was was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, It was also shot in a very dark, um, you know, without a lot of lighting, which I think kind of contributed to the drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and the drama kind of culminates in a moment where seemingly about to make his final escape, uh, Mando gets surrounded by, I think like four or five stormtroopers, And that's where we see these like whistling birds come into play, which I thought was freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whistling birds basically are like, <laughs> I don't even know how you like heat seeking like bullets or something. I, I don't even know yeah. how to describe them. And it's cool to see like what real Mandalorians are like and what their code of honor is about. And it's like, you got punk ass posers like Boba Fett over here. <laughs> it's like, you know, like these real like Mandalorians, like, you know, they're like kicking ass, they're rescuing babies. Like that's not how I viewed them at all. Come like the original, um, like star Wars sagas. Yeah, in in the original originals, like Boba Fett was pretty inept. Mm-hmm. Like when you think about the battle at, in Return of the Jedi on Tatooine, like he he was pretty useless. <laughs> yeah. Like he had like a jetpack and like some sweet guns, and he didn't do jack and nothing with them. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I think these Mandalorians um, are definitely because like in the second trilogy, I think Jango was a little cooler, still a little kind of incapable um but yeah these kind of like this warrior culture is is pretty cool they're kind of like the spartans of the star wars universe yeah and it'll like i said it'll definitely be interesting to see how much more of like the mandalorian community will see moving forward and um the ending of the episode to me kind of indicates that this is no longer a show about bounty hunters and and more about like the mandalorians as a people which is certainly more fitting for the title i mean it's the Mandalorian. That's the one thing that took me by surprise, and I think that we got wrong in our predictions, or at least I, I did. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought that maybe Grief Karga would have some sort of like get like grudgingly pulled into the escape, and it would be kind of like a buddy buddy escape. 
kind of feel. Right. Um, but it ended up being this sort of like uprising moment as all the Mandalorians um, kind of emerge from their hideout and, you know, show their real strength in numbers. Because, um, you know, you kind of get this picture painted of the subjugation of their race earlier on in the show. And now here presents this like opportunity for them to kind of flourish and make their, their resurgence. Yeah. And I think them showing that it's going to be more about the Mandalorians. It kind of hints at a show more, like we said, focused on community and like finding those who like provide you comfort and those who like lift you up and make you a better person. And I think that's definitely, that's like a star Wars show um, yeah. that everyone can kind of take something away from. Like if this was just like, Mando the dog bounty hunter I don't think it would be that like relevant or relatable to people out there but now that it's kind of forming into the show that's that is about everyone and finding these people and surrounding yourself with people that make you better I think it's definitely more well one more Disney and two more of a show that everyone can kind of relate to yeah it's more universal Mm mm-hmm which yeah, isn't, isn't a bad thing. And um, I am still waiting, though, to see, well, what happens next, first of all. And I'm <laughs> waiting to see Giancarlo Esposito's character. He has not oh, yet yeah. been introduced, and I want to know more about him. That's right. Yeah, you definitely need to catch up because I want to get your thoughts on a character that's introduced in the next episode. Um, but, yeah, I forgot about Giancarlo Esposito. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the trailers. He's been teasing um, me. Yeah. The one thing that I still have questions about is this whole bounty system. And I know this is something that has been kind of buzzing online with reviews for the show, but um, the way the whole uh, like tracking fob system works. So like basically as soon as the Mandalorian like exits the client's like stronghold with baby Yoda, you, we get this kind of interesting scene where every bounty hunter that is seemingly just always hangs out in grief cargo's cantina they're like tracking fobs all go off all at once. Um, so like to me, I have questions like who is the one activating the fob? Like how exactly does it work? Is it just like, because we see in the first episode that it's almost like the beeping gets more intense as you get closer to a subject. So do you just go by like process of elimination and just follow this thing blindly kind of wherever it leads? Well, yeah, it's like everything we've seen so far suggests that the fob is somehow keyed to. Do they call it the quarry? Uh, the quarry, the yeah. Quarry, the quarry's as like, in Baby Yoda. Yeah. Um, that the fob is like somehow keyed to Baby Yoda's like location. Yeah, which was weird because in the first episode he basically was like, "We only know his last known location." But mm. seemingly since it's just like wherever baby Yoda goes, this tracking fob takes you, which these questions become stronger for me. I think you'll see next episode. Um, but yeah, it's like, to me, it seems like, is there ever going to be a way to escape all of these bounty hunters if they constantly know where baby Yoda's going? Right. Um, and then what, one other thing that I, I had post post recap is <laughs> we talked a little bit about this before, but, just kind of the mathematics on baby Yoda here. So like we get kind of told in the first episode that he's 50 years old. It comes to our shock and surprise that he's like a baby at the end of the first episode. So 
we know okay baby yoda's 50 and yoda seemingly in star wars is like 800 or 900 years old to me is baby yoda's aging like logarithmic like it just like speeds up or i guess exponential like it speeds up as the years go by or is he just like yoda as we know him in the later films just like a an 18 year old kid who's just extremely wise and kind of old well do we know i guess we kind of do where like where the Mandalorian takes place in like the Star Wars universe, like is it possible? Like on the timeline? Yeah, like it was Baby Yoda's fifty, but at the time that he's fifty, maybe Yoda was also not as old as we think he was. No, so in the timeline, this takes place between Return of the Jedi, which was the last of the oldest trilogy, um, and. Uh, the Force Awakens, which was the newest of, or the first of the newest trilogy, um, so it takes place, I believe, five years after the fall of the Empire, basically the Battle of Endor, where the last Death Star is destroyed. Um, so, I mean, he, he seemingly he would be unconnected to Yoda, I would think, because at this point, Yoda is dead and kind of living on as this like Force spirit kind of ghost thing. Um, did we see so, Yoda yeah. ever have like a love interest? <laughs> Not that I know. Although in the Phantom Menace, the first of the like middle trilogy, um, there's like a scene with the Jedi Council where all the Jedi's um, are in that like big circle, and there's like a projection of a female Yoda type character on the screen, but it's for maybe like ten seconds. Hmm. But who knows? Maybe. Maybe Baby Yoda is the love child of this mysterious cameo of a female Yoda, or we're we're all just overthinking it, and Baby Yoda, um, just a merchandising ploy. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, probably would be the number one seller for Christmas toys this year, huh? Hmm, I think so. Interesting. I'm not gonna buy one, but. <laughs> Not practical. No, but does this, uh, is this season um, or is this um, show supposed to wrap up next month? Is that it ends next month? Uh, so it'll end right before the new year. Uh, I think it's going to be eight episodes total with oh, the last month. premiering, I think, the like the 28th of this month. Uh, December 27th will be the, the final episode. So do you um, think that people are going to cancel their subscriptions and then just resubscribe when season two comes out good question i mean i don't think people are getting disney plus for the mandalorian some might be like it's definitely intriguing to me but you Mm -hmm. know there's obviously a lot of other content people are paying for um but the show has has been approved for a second season so that's entirely a possibility Mm -hmm. Um, but we also know that there's a obi-wan kenobi standalone series that'll be coming to the platform i think next year that'll be directed by deborah chow so interesting um, yeah, that'll be promising as well. But before we get into our converse, our next conversation, we'd like to say that this episode is also brought to you by Quip. Uh, when dentists and designers work together to create a simple, affordable, surprisingly enjoyable oral care, oral care system for everyone, starting with a better electric toothbrush. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash coast right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. Um, I have Quip. I love it. Get Quip. So we're going to be talking about... uh 
Duty now, right? We're going to be talking about the new season of Call of Duty. Um, what have you heard so yeah. far? Yeah, so season one of Call of Duty Modern Warfare releases tomorrow. Um, and I guess the main things to note are a couple classic maps, uh, a couple new maps, and a few other goodies that are going to be releasing uh, new content. Um, but we'll start with kind of ones that you and I probably recognize, and I'm sure a lot of listeners and diehard Call of Duty fans will. Um, but we'll see the return of Crash, which was a Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare map. Um, actually, all of these are Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare maps. Uh, Crash, Vacant, and Shipment. Um, thoughts on the the, re- the re-release of those? <laughs> um, so, well, I really enjoy Crash. I had the enjoyment of playing that again, or well, first of all, in Modern Warfare um, mm-hmm. Call of Duty 4, and then when the remastered came out, we got to play that. Then it came to COD Mobile. Um, yeah. I really enjoy Crash. I really don't enjoy Shipment. I think it's a really... <laughs> I think the map design, it's literally like a like 20 by 20 yard like hellhole. Yeah, it's literally a novelty. Like I can't I don't think it was designed seriously. No, I think if they maybe if they make it like well, did they say anything about it being a gunfight map? Cuz that might be yeah. cool. It'll be released as both a multiplayer and a gunfight map. So okay. I imagine they would both be the same map. Hmm. I just can't. Anyway, oh gosh, I feel like with all of like, you know, you see videos of the classic shipment map of like the spawn traps or the incessant grenade kills. I gotta imagine they make it like a little bigger just so that people aren't like seriously rage induced by the map. Yeah, or they leave it the same so people are seriously rage induced by the map. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> But well, it, it's cool that it's um they're bringing back um what's uh vacant is the other one? Yeah, vacant's the other one. That's like the abandoned office building. Oh um, right, I remember that one. That that one was definitely a classic. A lot of like good indoor kind of mm-hmm. close quarters combat. It's a good search and destroy uh, map. Yeah, good search and destroy map. Um, that's actually a good segue into a new mode that's going to be released as well called reinforce. And it's basically a hybrid of domination and search and destroy, where everyone has a single life, and both teams are competing for um, the control of three different flags. Um, which that's basically all the knowledge I have to go off of what this new mode is going to be like. It sounds a little weird to me. Yeah, I don't really get it. <laughs> to be honest, is it just like one one time control of the maps if you only have one life, like? I don't know. So, yeah, it's not interesting to me. I don't. I was never interested in infected as well. It's like I your, used to love it. It's like your survival, like party game mode, which I guess is like fun um, to play. But I only play like two or three rounds, and I'm like, okay, well, move on to something else. Yeah, I have really fond memories of playing that with my brother when I was younger. Um, mainly when I wasn't very good at Call of Duty mm-hmm. <laughs> and was just looking to have some fun. Um, yeah, so Infect is coming back, and there's also going to be a new gunfight mode called OSP, or On-Site Procurement, um, where essentially it's the same sort of 2v2 mode, um, but instead of beginning with two preset weapons and uh, equipment, you just begin with your fists, and then you gather equipment as the match progresses. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think we actually got a chance to play this during the beta, and that's kind of the type of gunfight mode that I actually enjoy a bit better than the current one. Oh, yeah, because sometimes... Um, well, I guess the guns are still, like, preset. Um, but it's just... I don't know. A little bit better than like starting with a sniper, which I'm terrible at, and starting with a shotgun, which I am also not a fan of. But it just adds that little bit extra heightened like excitement and like thrill to the two v two. Like rush to get your gun and make sure you're not the first person to get capped in the head. Right. Yeah, it makes it a little more arcadey, and I, I'd agree on the j- adrenaline rush aspect of it too. Have you played? Um, you haven't played the Spec Ops. No, I haven't played Spec Ops yet. What exactly is the Spec Ops? So I think Spec Ops might only be for PlayStation right now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it comes out for other platforms for like a whole year, I think, because PS4 Weird. has like that special exclusiveness with Activision. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially like a hybrid between the campaign and multiplayer modes that players just complete missions. So there's like, I think there's four or five people in like a lobby and you're on the same team. Sure. Um, and there's just different like missions to do. So what's the, like infiltrate this office building and get the package out or do something like that. But it's all, it's PVE essentially. Sure. Um, yeah, I think they had a version that was kind of like that on uh, modern warfare three. Didn't you, did you just mention that? Um, I didn't, but this one's a little bit longer. Like I think the average time for a spec ops mission is like 35 to 45 minutes. Oh, wow. It's like a counter strike game. (laughs) Yeah. Or like if you ever play like destiny, like the raids or like the strikes. Sure. Like it's it's similar to that. And with this new update, they're going to have four new experiences that will be added to spec ops. So bomb squad grounded, just reward and pitch black is one. And, um, Pitch Black is kind of going off of the the classic going dark that you see in like all the Modern mm-hmm. Warfare trailers where it's just like night vision mode and you're going in and I think it's more stealth sniper operations. Have you gotten a chance to play the campaign of this game at all? No, I have not actually. It's actually pretty enjoyable. <clears throat> there are some pretty cool like tactical levels with that are kind of, I wouldn't say like Pitch Black, but... Um, I'd recommend giving it a try. It's actually a pretty rich campaign experience, which I know mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily like pay off too much, but there are unlockable um, operators in the multiplayer mode if you complete certain campaign missions. Oh, that's cool. Um, One of the spec yeah. ops, which I thought was also cool, is they're bringing back um, Airport from, what is it, Modern Warfare oh, 2? Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Where Terminal? You, Terminal, yeah. Like you and, yeah. Your, you and your team um, are essentially like taking back control of an airport. Huh for the mission that's cool mm-hmm. yeah and then of course yeah, very we have, nostalgic we have like this new um battle pass system which everyone kind of compares it to Fortnite being kind of like the trendsetter for the battle pass system and how it's gonna allow players to gradually unlock cosmetic items and um like i said skins and emotes and all that stuff and how do you feel about games kind of pushing these battle passes on you while giving you it's like all this content's free but if you want even more content pay ten dollars for this battle pass um i don't mind it because seemingly season one's release of content is pretty like expansive i mean we're getting two new game modes two new weapons uh like six new maps 
um, and a bunch of special ops experiences. So I don't feel too bad about it. Like I think it's a better system than the loot box system we've seen in past Call of Duties, um, especially Black Ops Three. Like that was just gambling, basically. Um, and we also I've heard that there's going to be more content that will drop during season one throughout the season. Um, so this certainly isn't kind of all you can expect from season one. So I'm I'm kind of a fan. I, I'm excited. Like the game has gotten a little stale over the past few weeks. Um, I think this is going to be a good change of pace. Yeah. And if we didn't mention it before, um, season one begins on Tuesday, December 3rd. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be out. And yeah, I think it'll be good. It's going to be a fresh start. It's going to be this new content, which I think will kind of set up the dominoes for the rest of it. Um, the rest of the seasons, I guess that modern warfare is going to be having. And again, it's cool that it will be free and, um, released simultaneously across all platforms. Absolutely. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of another episode of the coast to coast podcast. Um, thanks again for listening. Um, and we are always looking for your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Yes. And again, this episode is brought to you by anchor. We are hosted and supported there by our friends at anchor, but you can also find us on Apple podcasts, Google play or Spotify. Don't forget to share comment, leave a review. Um, and we'll talk at you next week. Sounds good. Bye.